Mike. Hey, Colin. How you doing? I'm good. Welcome to uh, Divergent Opinions, episode 10. I hate you so fucking much. <laughs> right, it's episode it's right nine. on the screen. <laughs> it's right there. Episode 9. I actually thought it was 10. Ugh, let's turn over. Um, we're in person this week. We're keep doing. We're gonna restart these until you get these right from here now. <laughs> we're uh, live in person, so that actually means this will probably sound worse than usual because we're using Soundtrack Pro instead of Skype. How's that worse? How's that? Because it doesn't. Like, it's not like auto riding the levels for me and stuff. Oh well, you should be should be doing that anyways. It's not pro. Well, you're much further away from the mic than I am. Oh, okay. How's so, that? Is that very hard? So, uh, this week we have stuff to talk about. We do. Um, there's some news this week. Yeah. So, why, first off, you're out here. Well, yeah. What's that about? I don't really know. <laughs> Doing a little bit of work? I guess so, yeah. Yeah. Been working today. It's pretty exciting. Working at the office. Um, Checked out the new cafeteria. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Fresh fresh baked bread at the Divergent Media Cafeteria. Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, San Francisco's a nice place. It's a shame uh, houses in St. Paul don't sell. So, oh well. Anyways, um, so yeah. Um, big news this week, obviously, in the community was uh, Steve announcing his retirement from Apple, um, which is sad. Yeah, I mean, like I like I mentioned on Twitter, I I've always used Macs. I started, you know, with HyperCard. It's when I started programming back in eighty six or eighty seven. So it's been a long run. I mean, not that anything, not that I see anything changing, but it's just, you know, I sort of grew up with Steve announcing things yeah and uh not so much anymore yeah it's definitely you know again i agree i don't think things are going to change and i think that i don't know if you would agree i feel like i've you know met at this point enough people at apple who really have taken to heart everything that he's instilled in the company and really want to work to you know carry carry through those those goals and and those sort of attitudes that uh it gives me a lot of confidence i don't know i mean most of the people i meet there sort of really believe in the mission and the, what the company's about and yeah i mean there are things that could stand to change the company could open up a little bit more i don't think it needs to be so secretive i don't think it needs to be quite so persnickety about how it uh how it approaches the you know whatever market it enters i don't think it needs to always go for you know the 95 percent over the five percent um but i don't know i mean it'll be interesting to see what happens i mean it like it seems to me that there was a little bit you know like during this last medical leave of steve there were a number of decisions made which seemed a little bit more developer friendly a little bit less insular and i wonder if that was just a timing thing you know that they needed to take their customary six weeks of having everyone mad at them before they're willing to make any changes or if you know that was a difference in 
leadership styles. We'll see. I mean, I think it could be it could be nice if things got a little bit more open. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I guess we'll just sort of wait and see what what shakes out. You know, obviously they've been planning this for a while and felt like now was the right time, whether it's for health reasons or for whatever other reasons. But I have a lot of confidence that you know, you know, the the change from. Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday at Apple was very minor in terms of functioning and everything else, and um, I think it'll be a just gradual tra- change as you know little things happen. And we'll yeah, I mean, so what happened? I mean, Steve wasn't acting CEO the day this was announced either. I mean, he's been on medical leave right, right. for a while, so it seems like not much. Basically, he just announced he's not returning from medical leave. Basically. Um, and, you know, it means that he probably won't be showing up at any other events, which was a little strange anyways that he was on leave, but still showing up to introduce the iPad and showing up at WWDC and um, for, for, you know, all rumors would indicate, you know, working pretty heavily as CEO. Um, right. So, I don't know. I mean, we'll see when the uh, when his book comes out this November, what it says about this process. I mean, I assume it was entirely his decision and not the board sort of getting fed up with something, but uh, you never know. Yeah. I bet, yeah, I can't see why anyone would... I mean, unless they wanted to do... You know, unless they were concerned about making sure that this was an orderly transition. Right. And they pushed him up because of that. But even that doesn't... I mean, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, seems unlikely. So, anyways, uh, sad, but, uh, you know, the world goes on. So, um, there's some other stuff on your list this week to, to chat about. Um, any of these things you want to jump to in particular? Um, so, what was big this week? One of the things I, um, you know, there was a lot of little things I wanted to bring up. One was, um, you know, last week we talked about the um, change to Hulu for Fox and I think CBS, NBC, one of the other ones. ABC, I think. ABC, one of the other ones. How they were doing the uh, delay on their, um, you know, their shows didn't, weren't going to be streaming the next day. They were going to have some sort of like window for Fox, it was eight days. Um, and the word is in, and I think it's just about what we both assumed, which is uh, piracy seems to have gone up, um, at least according to number of torrents and stats on downloads. It seems like even though there are no good shows on Fox right now, um, people still could not stand to wait eight days to find out what happened on my cross-dressing kitchen challenge <laughs> America or whatever I whatever Master Chef I've never even heard of this show but right somehow yeah. it's probably a mad chef who likes complaining about people or something presumably so this is from Torrent Freak um, which is sort of the industry news site for the piracy industry um, <laughs> And uh, they've, yeah, they pulled some stats. Um, they actually do this a, f- a fair amount. They do a lot of weekly reporting on piracy statistics and things like that. So um, interesting. Again, you know, not too surprising and probably not too surprising to Fox, et cetera, either. I assume they had a model that baked in exactly what they expected would be, you know, the increased piracy and, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, if you were going to give it away for free, the fact that people are stealing it doesn't right. send a huge disincentive to stop giving away for free. Um, but I, you know, I don't see the upside really, other than it maybe makes cable providers a little bit happier with you. Well, and, you know, even though the number of torrents doubled, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that the number of viewers watching it live didn't triple. Uh, right, that's you know, true. It, obviously, that probably didn't happen, but we don't, we can't make that jump, so. But I'm sure they know, and I'm sure they will come to a decision uh, at some point in the future about whether this was a good idea or not. Um, so, so it hasn't what? impacted me, I will say that. You... You were already pirating your no, episodes I, I, of MasterChef? I, I, I mean, I haven't. I, I didn't know there was a show called MasterChef. So. Mm. Speaking of which, also following up on an earlier episode, I think it took you maybe 30 minutes to get me that BBC show after <laughs> the last well, that was just because that episode wrapped. I thought it would be rude to send you an MKV file, so I actually transcoded it to MP4 for you. That was nice of you. Because I knew you would bitch about MKV. Someday we should talk about MKV. Oh, Matraska. Oh, boy. It seems good. Oh, God. It's, it's a modern rapper. No, it's not. It just doesn't do a lot. Um, so, yeah. So, that happened this week. Um, did you see this... Uh, this post going around a couple people linked to it i noticed it when philip bloom posted about it it's a little um clip in uh, essentially pro mist filter that clips in behind your lens so basically it's uh between the mirror and the lens in a dslr sensor in the lens so what happens to the mirror well, I guess it's in front of the mirror, but the mirror's out of the way when you're recording. So right, yeah. um, and it the idea is it blurs things enough to uh, soften more. Right. I mean, so let's back up here because this is actually a really interesting problem and an interesting example of sort of optics and and things like that. Um, so the way these DSLRs shoot video is that they shoot some portion they shoot the whole sensor they're not like windowing just the little center chuck of the sensor because then your field of view would be very limited so when they're shooting video they shoot the whole sensor but then they have to down res that to um 1920 by 1080 or 720 or whatever the resolution is that they're going to capture video at um, and because they're relatively limited in terms of processing power they um, do that down resing by throwing away data, not by doing like a bicubic resample of every frame or something. So they're just doing line right. sampling or just checking every fourth pixel. Right, right. Um, and so, you know, Moray is an effect. Um, you've seen this in um, anytime you've seen like uh, when someone's shirt looks like it's jiggling because they're wearing a very tight pattern of lines or um, any sort of very tight. Um, pattern on when shot on video or on film uh, or on stills, I mean, um, can start to have all kinds of weird patterns emerge that weren't there in reality in sort of interference patterns. Um, and this is because of something called Nyquist sampling, where um, if you are, <laughs> stop looking at me like this, I don't like this ability for you to roll your eyes at me. 
I'm actually I'm interested in this. I don't uh, know that much. I mean, about so basically, more. if you have a pattern that's too close together, so that you're actually, um, if you think about sort of a series of horizontal lines, um, if you're not sampling at least one sample in each of those lines, you start to reconstruct a pattern that does not equal the original pattern. So if you've got uh, a row of black pixels and a row of white pixels and a row of black pixels and a row of white pixels, but you actually only sample every third line, you end right. up with end up a with pattern. White, white, black, white, white, black, white, right. white, black. Right. right. Um, and that's basically what happens here as well when um, you don't have the when you have basically an in downsampling, you're throwing away enough data that you introduce this sort of thing. So how is that so but that's also perturbed slightly by the fact that on a DSLR and pretty much any single chip sensor nowadays, um, not only are you not sampling, you know, a continuous range across the image you're sampling at discrete points but you're also sampling different colors at different points right i mean you've got a, you've got so you can end up with three patterns you can end up with so you'll get so if you have a that black and white you know vertical right. line you'll end up with three separate beat patterns one for blue one for green and one for red well it depends whether you're thinking about this before or after you debayer i think these guys probably throw away data after debayering right okay so you so in in the case of this zoom yes but in optical moray right where you're talking about the actual yeah limit yeah, yeah. limit of how fine you can capture images i mean a lot of people have seen will have seen the uh the optical test patterns that have the white circle with the black and white lines running into the center that you use to determine where the, you know, what the what the sampling limit is on your sensor, basically on your entire optical path. So it's sensor, lens, and all your DSP. Right. So so how does this how does this filter help us then? Well. So when they design, the, I'm trying to find here. First off, do you think it works? I, I They're think saying it it's 385, does. and they have a video up. And I have to admit, I didn't see a dramatic difference in the video. I don't know if you watched it. Yeah, I did. I mean, yeah, it looks... I can see a slight difference. One, I don't see a ton of moray to begin with. I mean, there is there's a little bit of color moray in there, strobing, but. Yeah, I'm trying to track down here. It was not the best example. Well, I'm sure that's totally footage. by accident. Well, this is something Philip shot, so he's not working for the company. Uh, that's true. Um, I'm trying to track down here. There was a uh, really great series of videos by someone, and I don't know if it was Panavision or... It was a few years ago, a series of lectures about lens design and how they work to pair lenses with sensors and things because hmm. this is something they take into account when they're designing lenses to match with cameras that they want to make sure that the resolving power of the lens is you know good enough to you know deliver enough precision to take advantage of the capacity of the camera but not so precise that it introduces a lot of this so they actually design lenses intentionally um to interesting not pass so much detail that everything moires mores 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm having trouble with that word today. 
Um, so, and I'd love to find it because it's a really great piece where they go into like modulation transfer functions and how exactly they do that um, because they, they do take that into account and they'll actually intentionally make a lens less good um, so that it doesn't cause this to happen on everything. Interesting. And, and so by extension, the problem here is where the lens is designed to sample at you know, 12K yeah. or whatever um, are going to introduce artifacting at lower resolutions, right. especially if we're doing this sort of naive downsize. Right, which it sounds like. I mean, it certainly looks like most video cameras are doing. And so the idea, I guess, behind this is you just blur stuff enough that your, you know, your practical resolution is something closer to the video resolution, so 1920 by 1080. Right. Do they have different ones for different... For HD and SD, or HD like 720 and 1080, although I guess the cameras just shoot. Yeah, and I don't think it would be a case where it mattered that much. Sure. I mean, it does, you know, in the, in the stills that he has later, I can totally see the, the effect. The resolution hit. No, not the resolution hit, the lack of Mara. I mean, oh. In fact, the resolution of anything looks better, which, you know, can happen as well. Right. Um, because you... You know, you can run a bunch of noise that covers up detail. And so, I mean, it seems like an interesting idea. Someone else, I think, I didn't see an article attached to it, but I saw someone post an image of some sort of mod that they had done putting a filter, um, a little, like, gel tray sure, on the sure. back side of their lens. Yeah. Which I assume was for the same effect. Yeah, I would assume. Um, so it sounds like this is something that uh, is sort of hitting across a couple vendors at the same time. And it'll be interesting. I mean, it, it seems like a good plan. It would be, you know, for someone like Philip who's going to be switching between stills and video, it looks like a bit of a, of a hassle right. getting in and out. But, like, if you're predominantly shooting... Um, video with your camera it seems like a fairly good idea so now by extension i mean we talk about how um you know, everybody's really going how about these full sensor cameras they're going to have more more a problems right? well i guess not if you if you're down resin you're down resin and you're going to get you'll just get it at different frequencies right of original detail right yeah interesting so yeah, yeah i mean it seems like a good idea. Yeah, um, it. I mean, it. It seems like a fix. Um, it, you know, I think over time, as you know, Moore's law takes over, it'll be possible to put better scaling algorithms into the cameras and make this less of an issue. But for now, uh, this seems like a a way to deal with that. Right. I mean, the other possibility, I believe this is true, is that you can introduce noise to the image prior to the zoom. So if you know that you're scaling down to one quarter resolution, you add noise that's at an off beat of that, 
which then will disrupt any... I think that's true. I'm not sure. I, I believe it. It sounds right. Uh, <laughs> Let's assume. But yeah, this is... Um, it seems cool. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. And I will try and find that lecture series because it was super fascinating. Um, yeah, I'd like to read that too. Um, the other one who has a lot of great info on Moray is um, Adam Wiltz, his site. He did a big thing on it um, a few years ago. Um, and all of his stuff about how he checks out cameras is great, great stuff. Um, so um, other stuff on our list. Um, you had a link to a Stanford AI class. What? what did you oh, yeah, it's a class that? I signed up for. So... Uh, they are, Stanford is, I mean, I, they do this with a lot of their courses, I think, uh, you know, putting up uh, the videos and stuff you can do through iTunes yep. U. Um, and I know you have some experience with this from your prior jobs. Um, but what was interesting about this, this Stanford AI class that they're doing is it's only being, it's something that they're doing just for non-students on the web basically sure. so they take in their existing curriculum and said you know who wants to sign up for this class um and the two i guess the two things i thought we could talk about is one this idea of you know this is all relatively new technology I mean, it really wasn't possible before you know youtube is what five years old now six right years around, something like that and, and i mean six. before that this sort of thing was sort of unthinkable um and now it seems pretty commonplace one and um and then you know even the, so what's going to be cool about this is so they announced the thing they announced the class and they said sign up you know just give us your email address and we'll let you know and i think they said they have something like five or six thousand people who are going to be taking this class already hmm. i mean it's sure it's going to be a giant thing you and your you mean they're going to have it'll be interesting to see how they do it because you're it sounded like at least that you were going to have to complete coursework and they were going to grade it. And, Interesting. You know, so it's not, it's it's not, not like the, the standard, like, you can watch all our lectures later. Right, right. Or the, the, like that's the open courseware model that MIT's pioneered, which is we put all our content out there, but you don't get, you don't get anything at the end of it. You don't and, get any feedback, right? Yeah, you don't get a certificate or anything. It's more um, of a one-way thing. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, and it looks like it interesting class as well i mean i know a number of people who've had their introduction to iphone development from the stanford lectures so um you know obviously this has been a space for stanford to reach out um i don't know you know if they're finding that they're getting good stuff in return in terms of students or um feedback or, or what but uh it's great that they're doing it and uh yeah, I mean the other the yeah, and so the the coursework itself sounds really interesting because it's um it's being taught by Norvig and and Thrun, so uh, Sebastian Thrun is the guy who I'm most familiar with because of his work on the self driving car that mm -hmm. Stanford won the DARPA challenge on, same challenge that a friend and I did the you know he did it, their team did it a number of years we did it the year before they won. Um, and it's just sort of, you know, it's interesting that they're, 
one, that artificial intelligence seems to have sort of standardized around a number of tools that are actually becoming useful. I mean, mm -hmm. it seemed like the idea of AI has become a lot more focused in, you know, in the, you know, the short term, you know, recently, because, you know, it was, it was in the 70s or 80s that everyone thought like, well, we're going to make machines that can replace people. And, you know, that's why we're making movies like The Terminator. And, you know, that was the big fear. And now it seems like the idea is, you know, building something that can that is basically seen every possible scenario of something and knows the right one to choose, you know. Right. So Google, uh, you know, translations and searches and, you know, it seems like they're the big one where you take a giant data set and you build a giant, you know, decision tree off of all of that data. And so, you know, I'm just kind of curious to see one, you know, I haven't done that much um since that robot car with this idea you know of ai and so i'm i'm curious to you know uh, for the content itself and then also to try one of these courses online i mean there's a lot of stuff as a as a college dropout and as a you know as a adult who's not really in the field they were trained in you know as a film studies major there's a you know there's a lot of math that i would love to learn there's a lot of science there's a lot of computer science that I would love to learn. Um, and so I'll, I'm curious to see how well this works. And also the, on their website, they're up to 133,000 students. So that's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, if Stanford could charge five bucks for this class, they would be making almost, you know, almost as much as, as, as the couple students. Yeah. How many? What is that called? No, that's got to be. 500,000. Yeah. That's, that's what, like you know, 20 students. 10 students. They're fifty thousand a year. Oh, yeah, at least probably. Wow. Even bad liberal arts schools cost that much now. Wow. Yeah. See, aren't you glad you dropped out? Yeah. I'm glad I got into the into the uh, the cheap school. All that, and I'm glad I got a career before uh, it became impossible to find work without a college education. A master's degree, I think, is what you mean. Oh, that's what they're saying now. Yeah. You don't have your master's. No, that's why I have to work for you. <laughs> I have my True. master's. I have a real job. Uh, oh boy! If anyone wants to give me an honorary master's or doctorate, I uh, I would take that. You have to be accredited though. <laughs> You're gonna be picky about your honorary. Yeah, case. yeah. Um, we gotta have standards. So other stuff um, this week. I don't know. You know, it continues to be August. So. Uh, in terms of actual like awesome exciting news there's relatively little awesome exciting news but uh, i mean ibc is IBC's next coming week up, uh, two weeks i think two or three weeks yeah two weeks uh so if anyone there will have some good stuff for that amsterdam yeah that'll be uh rather exciting the people i know who are tend to be pretty beta heavy seem to all think that this is going to be a good year for ibc so they must be testing some fun stuff yeah well, and hopefully, uh, maybe IBC will finally motivate Apple to release the uh, API for Final Cut X that they've been promising for uh, a month now. The API for import-export. So XML. Yeah. Um, I mean, they gave it to um, Wes Platt. 
No, they didn't. They're doing... Well, they've got something. Well, he does it by, like, doing the drag and drop, like... I don't know. Well, he's got mm-hmm. access to the edits. Yeah. yeah he's got true. what he needs, and he's really the only one I think they're concerned about. Well, it'll be interesting to see uh, if that finally makes it out. Ostensibly, it still is coming out, but uh, we will see. Um, your other linked thing, and I haven't watched this video, was something from uh, No Film School. Oh, yeah, it was a... Uh it was a good presentation by um, Evan Sheckman. He's from Radical Media. What were they? They had a different name before, but I think they're Radical now. Um, he's been, you know, in the sort of high-end Mac or Final Cut Pro-centric post-house sphere in in New York for a long time now. And uh, he did a speech that someone taped at TechServe about sort of the you know Final Cut Pro X and what what it is and why it's different. Um, and it was good. It, you know, it's kind of I think it it was a you know entertaining and informative sort of wrap up of I think our general feelings about the thing. You know, it, there's a lot of magic in there. It does a lot of crazy cool stuff. Um, it doesn't do, you know, a few tiny things. You know, like he he made people do a show of hand of how many people still actually need EDLs, and when one guy raised his hand, he asked about his floppy drive. <laughs> so, it uh, yeah, I mean it's it's good. I think you should watch it. it You'll be nodding along. I'll have to take a look, yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Um, You know, the other topic I was going to get into this week, if we want to dive into something a little bit, um, was just talking about some of the tools that are out there for remote collaboration at this point. But uh, I don't know how interesting that is. Uh, What kind of collaboration? Well, I'm just thinking about this sort of workflow that we're starting to establish, um, doing software development, you know, remotely and all the different cloud tools that are out there that make that a lot more possible than it would have been even a couple years ago um, and and make it pretty seamless. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm willing to use that as a um, as sort of a jumping off point for, because I think there are a number of things in there that are going to be filtering into other spheres in the same way that like, you know, most people are, have gotten used to Google Docs and the idea that you can have a document in the cloud that a bunch of people can edit and they don't, you know, everyone doesn't crush everyone else's changes every time they make one. Um, you know, I think there are some of these paradigms that are going to become fairly common and get adopted across the, the video production world soon, too. Um, and so, yeah, let's we can we can discuss that. I mean, so the tools that we're using on a sort of constant basis, um, you know, in the software development world, it's source control. Um, so Git, GitHub, um, in the same way that in video production, you might have an asset management tool. Um, right. Tracking. So, yeah. So let's talk about source control a little bit. That's, well, let's let's start with an earlier tool. Okay. Let's talk about 
you know, Dropbox or whatever. I mean, because that seems to be the foundation on which something like Git is built in many ways. Okay. Well, so yeah, so the first thing that we that we needed was some way to trade files back and forth. And so you need some place to put those files that everyone has access to. And you know, the obvious answer to any of those problems nowadays is you put them on the internet because everyone has the internet. Um, and so a tool like Dropbox is you, you install it on every one of your machines and it gives you a folder that anytime you put something in that folder or change it in that folder, it gets pushed to every other copy of that folder. So it's like a little wormhole that exists in a folder on your drive and when you look inside of it you can think of it as not being that that folder on your machine but it's a sort of a gateway into a folder somewhere on the internet that everyone who has that gateway is seeing the exact same set of media. I mean what happens in the background is anytime you make changes it takes and it diffs the changes and it you know uploads those differences and the server then you know pushes that to all the other clients that have that same piece of you know that same directory mapped to their drive and then they get all the changes and stored on their copy right and what makes dropbox you know the useful tool that it is is that they've done it very well yeah Um, i mean you just don't think about it it's the same thing as idisk or anything else any of the dozens of other services but it just is something that you don't think about it and what's great is you can share folders and so we have shared folders between us and if i need to you know make some things available and mike's not online i just put them in dropbox and i know that when he boots his computer up next he will have those files they'll start downloading right Um, now i mean i think even that is is a little more reactionary than what they would like the tool to be i mean what i think they envision the tool as and what we'll probably slowly get to over time as more you know is you just put all your files there and you don't think about you know oh i need to get this file to mike so i'm going to put it in dropbox you just every file you make and every file you work on is in dropbox so when it comes time for me to see it i just oh yeah it's right here for me that that is the case i mean i um because I, I've switched jobs a few times and switched computers a few times and and until recently was operating on three different computers a laptop and a work desktop and a home desktop um you know it just made sense to have everything in dropbox and so instead of using my documents folder i use dropbox um now because dropbox has you know a quota i can't keep everything there um but i keep everything that's sort of important in terms of documents and um everything else that's not being synced in the cloud some other way uh, in Dropbox, and it's it's pretty fantastic. And then if I need to make something available to Mike, I just drag it from you know my personal area of Dropbox into a shared area of Dropbox. Right. Um, yeah, and this is something I, I mean I just upgraded. I originally had two gig in their service that I could fill with data, and I just upgraded to their fifty gig service with the idea that everything I own will eventually end up there too. You know, with the exception of music and media right but all my files um you know and the beauty of it is you can you know go work on a friend's machine and have access to those files or work out of a coffee shop and not worry about the fact that 
the file you need is on your desktop and not on your laptop. Right. And, you know, worst case is they've got a web interface where you can add and remove files and access files as well. Right. And so, and, you know, and then the, you know, the free things you get in the background are it also keeps versions of stuff and it protects you against hard drive crashes. And so, it, I mean, it's a really nice service. Um, and yeah, I, I see us using it a lot yeah. in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, what it doesn't work for, and this is why we need something like source control, is that Dropbox is constantly syncing. And so every time you make a change to a file and save it, that's going to get pushed to the cloud and pushed to all the other computers. Um, and when you're working on software development, that's generally not the model you want to work on because most of the time when you're working on software, it's broken. Well, so a few things. One, a software... The, the source code for a program like ClipRap. So ClipRap is designed in a programming language, and we use a tool called Xcode to write the, to write the code and build that code into an application that we can send to users. You know, it takes all of the code and compiles it to run on the different machines and puts it in the right format to be used on, you know, all the multiple machines, PowerPC, Intel, puts it into a universal binary, loads all of the images and other resources we need into the right place, sticks the icon on it, does all of that stuff, and builds a runnable app. And But what we have on our end is you know, 100-odd files all sitting in a folder that we periodically edit. So the first big problem is that we're working with a number of files which have to be coherent across each other. And so if you and I were both working on the same chunk, you know, the same, like, virtual drive somewhere, you know, say we were on a SAN or something that's, you know, the model that a lot of people are used to, what would be happening is we would both be making incongruous changes to some of these hundreds of files, which then didn't necessarily match up to the, you know, what the other person's changes were doing. Um, also, we're constantly breaking things. Um, right. I mean, you're, you're, when you're adding a new feature, until pretty far towards the end of the development process, not only does that feature not work, but probably lots of other things don't work either. Um, and so if while I was working on that feature, all those file changes were being synced to you and you were trying to work on something else, you'd be saying, well, why doesn't the app run anymore? Right. I'd be trying to trace down bugs that I hadn't introduced right. and that were that you knew about and were planning to fix. Right. And so what you need is a way to, you know, take snapshots of pieces of code that are done or are in some other way ready to be shared and distributed and push those to the other people, but not push those out until you've gotten to a point where you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm done touching this or I want feedback on this or you should start looking at this and thinking about integrating it or whatever else. Right. And so this problem was solved dozens of years ago with a tool called RCS. CVS? No, before, C before CVS, there was RCS. Uh. Um, but the idea is basically to continually take snapshots of where all of those files are at and store them in some way that you can, you know, one, you can pass them to another person and they can take your changes and apply them to their changes. Um, 
you can also move back and forth in time through these change sets and you can um, you know when you get into work like team workflow like what we're doing you can actually you know integrate sets of changes from other people and so let's try to bring this into the the video world so the idea so the the very simplest part of a version control system is something is the is the versioning so the keeping snapshots as you go and that's you know directly analogous to autosave and final cut well into something that's now pervasive in, in the apple ecosystem which is um autosave and, and versioning in lion uh, which is something that all new applications sort of get as part of the development process um and that process in lion actually works in part on the same principle of tracking changes rather than making complete copies of files the way autosave did or something like that right yeah, I mean, so these tools have gotten very good, and one of the one of the big things they're able to do now is only save the parts of the files that are being active that were actively changed since the last time, and so um, that gives you two major advantages. One is it will make all of those snapshots much smaller, but the other thing that it does is it allows the program or the tool itself to present sort of a coherent view of those changes to the to the user. So, you know, this is this is one of those things that I've gotten so accustomed to as a developer that I wish someone would do on the on the video side. You know, what what we're able to do with any <clears throat> So earlier today you finished up a you know, a new feature for Clipwrap. Great feature that everyone's going to love to see once we test send it. it to them. <laughs> um and you were ready to roll it into the next version, the you know the upcoming version that we're going to do. And so you saved all your changes. You committed those changes to your local repository, which is your you know autosave vault for you know, comparison. And then you uploaded them, and I took them and applied them. You know, basically, then I looked at those changes. I said, okay, so what's different between Colin's most recent snapshot and what I have in front of me as my most recent code. And it just says line by line, like, oh, he changed this to this, he added these 12 lines, he uploaded these two new files. Added a lot of white space. Yeah, you do like adding white space. Um, and, you know, and so I could go through that line by line and say, okay, well, this makes sense, this makes sense. Okay, this I think, you know, I see, I can see why this. Um, might not work in the future. I can see, you know, so basically we can go through and review every single line of, you know, change to the code and know that, you know, when we're done doing that, we've, you know, there have now been two sets of eyes on every single part of the app that changes between each version. And it's not, you know, just a guess like, oh yeah, we tested really well, but like we've actually, two people have looked at all the code and it makes sense. And you know we're both confident it's going to work, and then we start doing all the testing, and then once we've done the testing, then that's what becomes the final version. And this is one of those things. So this is you know this is this is one of those killer apps that I can't wait to see come to video because a few years ago this wasn't really necessary. I mean, so 10, 20 years ago this wasn't that commonly necessary in in programming. 
because you would have one guy would write a chunk of code and then he would give it to everyone else and it was his job to maintain it. And so anytime that file needed to be changed, you went to Bruce and Bruce was the guy who fixed bugs in that part of the code. Nowadays, you know, one, you know, there tends to be, because of some of the programming models we have nowadays, there tends to be thinner layers with less siloing, you know, less differentiation right. between one section of the code and the other. And things tend to be a lot more sort of smattery. And, you know, especially on the web and some of these other, you know, technology stacks we use. Two, you know, there wasn't, you know, teams are getting a lot bigger, I think, too. Um, and people are becoming a lot more um, interdisciplinary. So you've got, you know, even designers, you know, every every major app I know about now, all of their artwork and everything is in a tool like this too. And so you know, when even when the person's doing Photoshop work, they're going in and making changes in a tool like this. Um, and so what's, you know, I think with the new time, you know, with some of the new tools being cheaper in video editing, you know, Final Cut being the big wedge that drove into the industry, um, with schedules getting shorter and shorter. I mean, I've worked on a number of shows over the years where you would have, you know, the, the solution was, oh, it looks like we're not going to finish this in time. Let's put more editors on it. You know, let's, instead of having one editor cut a 22-minute show, let's have two. And, you know, the easiest way to do that is you have one work eight hours during the day and one work eight hours during the night because that way there's always that moment of handoff and you don't have two people. Now, that can be infuriating. I mean, I remember there was a show that I was really stressed out about and every night I would have, like, fever dreams about scenes I was having a hard time cutting and I would come in the next day and I'd be like, okay, well, I didn't get any sleep last night. And I threw up before I came in, but I totally know how I'm going to cut that scene now. Like, I, I dreamt the changes I'm going to make. And I would come in, and the scene would be, like, gone. Like, oh, no, that's not in the cut anymore. You know, we fixed it by just removing it. Or right. we did this. Or, or, oh, I fixed that problem for you. Or, oh, I chose a different song. And then I'm like, oh, I like this song better than the one I came up with in the night. This sucks. <laughs> and so, so there's that. But then, you know, there are a lot of shows where you've got people like I'm cutting this scene and the next guy's cutting that scene or you know every show every you know reality TV type show has an assistant like five minutes down the timeline assembling stuff or you know you're working on a scene and it's not working you're like I need 12 shots of a guy who looks like this you know, and if you can cut them together, or I need a and you know a way to get from this scene to the next scene, can you rough something out for me? And then what happens is you end up copying project files back and forth, or you know cutting, pasting sequences into your sequence, or you know, and right. it's never great. And none of the asset management tools that I've worked with, at least, really go a long ways towards solving this. They they they're file management and version management, but they don't really help with this sort of you know, creative integration process. Right. So what they don't do is what in the in the um, version control is called merging, which, so, we, you know, the earlier conversation, you know, example we had with Colin making a change, he was working on a, something I wasn't working on. But you can, at the same time, I can be adding a feature to a specific file while Colin is renaming all the variables in that file or fixing spelling errors 
And even if those lines of code move from one place in the file to somewhere else, the, mer you know, the merge tools on some of these things are so advanced now that they can, even though I took a section of code and moved it from the bottom of the file to the top, it can see that, oh, that's the same section of code that Colin you know, capitalized all the Fs in this variable name. And so I'm going to capitalize the Fs in the new location. And so what we end up with at the end is the superset of both, you know, the union of all of the changes that both of us did. And, you know, there are some things it won't be able to do. Like if he changes, if he does a spelling change on some, you know, a line of code that I delete, it will say like, hey, I can't, you know, what do you want me to do with this change? And you say, oh, I delete it. But... But I mean, they're incredibly complex tools. And what I am dying to see is a visual tool that shows you two timelines. Um, when I, yeah. I mean, I think that the, you can pretty quickly see how something that's really complex when you're dealing with you know, t text becomes almost unfathomably complex when you start to deal with media that's both temporal and you know, you've got you've got not only the sort of editorial decisions you've got effects decisions you've got you know multi-dimensional stuff going on you've right. got other assets being brought in the level of complexity just goes up you know exponentially and i and i think that's why we haven't seen those tools yet yeah no i mean i don't think it was possible to ever have those tools but you can also start to see why the magnetic timeline mm -hmm. is such a necessary departure because well, one thing is you know, most editors out there, most, you know, all the Avid guys and all the Final Cut Pro pros, as they like to refer to themselves, um, you know, they all say, like, I can manage sync myself. I don't need Final Cut to be holding my handle time. But if you get into a position where the tool is making changes that you didn't make or trying to, trying to, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um like rectify the differences between two different people's sets of changes it's very important that it knows exactly what needs to be in sync with what so forcing the editor to physically you know denote that somewhere in the app means i mean so imagine a tool and i and i think this is the way final Cut x is going i mean imagine a tool five years from now two years from now where you have two views of the same timeline you have a paper cut, which is essentially an outline, which has all of your transcripts in it attached to the files, and it knows what the scenes are, and the scenes are grouped into those like nested sequence, whatever they're calling, smart, what are they calling those? Container sequences? Uh, collapse into, yeah. Yeah, where you collapse a sequence into the little subsequence, what used to be called nested sequences. So each one of the, each scene is one of those. You know, you can imagine in the future a um you know a, a secondary tool where final cut is where the editor is making the editorial decisions and pasting together cover for for vo and whatnot and a producer is sitting in you know a tool like word and grabbing an entire scene and moving it you know to a different place in the timeline or saying oh we don't need this vo byte anymore and deleting it and then the editor getting a view, you know, like later that day, they go, oh, I need to merge all of the producer's changes. And they see in their timeline, like, this VO is going to disappear. And that means these four shots can get shorter. And, like, 
you you know it'll be up to you to decide how those four shots get shorter but final you know final cut x will automatically have made it shorter and we'll just show you like four shots covering each other with a little red you know right stop sign saying like oh my god someone's got to fix this but when i think i mean so not only did some of the underlying aspects of the application need to change i think that you know final cut so pre-x final cut studio and whatnot had grown xml in what 4.5 somewhere in there xml was added as a way to sort of have a slightly more open view onto your timeline and your project was it that late it was pretty late Hmm. and so xml was not part of the design of the application from the start and the final cut project files have always been opaque um, as far as sort of other developers are concerned so there's a hope, and hopefully this will be borne out in the next week or a few weeks when this mythical API comes out, that you know some of the underlying design in Final Cut X means that the data structures are more sane and the way that some of this is organized internally is more sane, and so that as a developer, you can access some of this stuff in ways that, you know, Final Cut Pro XML is insane. Oh, can I leak something? Yeah. This isn't a leak because no one told it to me. But um, people who follow, you know, people who sort of follow the Apple developer buzzwords will probably have heard of Core Data, which is it's kind of like a database. It's kind of like an object model. It's a way to store. It's a way for an application that you write on the Mac to store a big chunk of data that has some sort of structure to it. You know, like think of all of these clips in our bins have the same things associated with them a name uh number you know audio layout video track size volume you know all of these things each piece of metadata and so it's it's sort of a an easy way for developers to shove well-ordered data into a file and the system takes care of a bunch of stuff um if you look at Final Cut's projects and events, Final Cut X's, they are both those core data files underneath. And so I doubt they're going to expose that to the end user, but you could imagine a world in which they you know, release that object model and anyone could you know, munch files or create new files in a you know you could have a third-party app that builds a final cut profile right or builds an event because i think the problem was with with final cut xml and you know people are mad that final cut xml wasn't in final cut x but you know final cut xml was it's sort of stockholmy final cut xml was very painful and i think part of the problem was one it was added i still remember there was one key that was case sensitive, right? And so there's all these issues where there there are things that aren't exposed in the XML. There are all sorts of inconsistencies about what's treated as an attribute and what's treated, you know, just how things are dealt with, and you know the the you know scaling control on a mat might be different from the scaling control on a video, even though they're both ostensibly the same you know property. Anyways, and part of the problem was it was added after the fact, and part of the problem was that Apple always had their own binary project file format that they used, and so they never had to eat their dog food on this. Right. All the pain points were only for third-party developers, and so it only behooved Apple to keep it 
you know, to fix bugs fast enough that people didn't flee the platform. Right. They would, so they would ship with these massive bugs, like, you know, all of your audio would become a single mono track if you imported an XML. I remember that one. Yeah. Um, and these would make them out because you know xml was sort of an afterthought and so hopefully by having a more sane structure under the hood and by having a more sane api for getting data in and out um final cut x is going to start to open up a new ecosystem and i know apple's banking on this going to open up a new ecosystem of third-party applications for helping you manage assets and hopefully do some of these more advanced things that we're talking about how do you you said that you know they're banking on this ecosystem I know that from comments they've made, they're counting on third parties jumping in to innovate in the asset management space, and you know that they, they have so, high okay. expectations. So you're saying for this. you're saying based on what they were willing to jettison. Well, and also some the, of the comments they made on what they expect from third parties. They, they, there was one statement. I don't remember if it was in the FAQ or in um, something else because there were a few other things that that went out from Apple, maybe a little less officially, basically saying, you know, we expect based on the tools that we're going to provide that third-party developers are going to be do, able to do X, Y, and Z. So, Right. I mean, what I would love to see, so, so we should mention, like, this idea, although it, you know, it, it's a little pie in the sky to hope that Apple is going to let us muck with their project files and such. Um, you know, that is true today of motion. Any motion project you make is just an XML file that yeah. you can go and net it. Right. Well, and it's same with um, uh, iWork. The, the iWork suite, numbers, pages, and Keynote are all XML. Oh, I didn't know that. I've seen uh, there was a, a project at the University of Minnesota that he was using Keynote for digital signage, and then they had an application behind the scenes Keynote. that would dynamically insert data into. And it was that's a pretty cool idea because your your backend application can be sort of based on a web language that has nice XML support, and you get to take advantage of all the great display capabilities of Keynote, but have dynamic data in it. Sure. And and I've seen similar things with motion to you know generate an entire folder full of lower thirds or things. Like oh yeah, that. no, I mean, I've seen people do, like, um, automated, yeah, like graphics packages. So you make you make your template graphics package and then you, you know, like things like bumpers for shows or something where you know you have to build. You know, um, I, I know there was one network that did you know basically a pile of you know any like intro outro like next up on channel whatever here's you know this show and then you have to have the time and you have to have the time right in all three time zones or you have to do so yeah i mean for for things like that you know it's uh that's when it becomes really nice to be able to drive these applications programmatically I mean, Apple has tons of technologies for doing this, some better supported than others. And, you know, they've never really had a company-wide edict that, you know, you have to support this one or that one. You know, Apple Script, Automator, Apple Events. Um, the developer tools are getting really into uh, Python scripting now, which is big in uh, post houses as well. I mean, all those, like, Nuke and such... Right. Or Pythonable. Um, I don't see that making it that way in Final Cut X. <laughs> well, I mean, we'll, hopefully we'll see soon, but I think that what, what we're getting at here is that there's a lot of opportunity to really take 
more, more than what you've seen in any asset management tool to now to really take it into a, a new space in terms of collaboration um, and you know in some of the ways that allows us to seamlessly work on the same project across the country at this point in terms of technology and sort of um, well I think it I think it makes sense to sort of look at what how simpler problems have already been solved to see what is coming in the future. I mean, in the same way that you can look, you know, at least in the past, you were able to see what video was going to be like in 10 years by looking at digital audio, you know, just because, just because of the bandwidth issues and processing issues. Um, I think with, you know, with one collaboration, you know, bandwidth becomes a huge deal for video and that's, you know, growing astronomically. So that's going to catch up, you know, in the same way that, you know, we don't think about trading a bunch of text files or applications from one side of the country to the other. You know, I think we'll get to that point where we can do that with, you know, ProRes files in the not too distant future. Um, And, you know, with that ability comes a lot of, one, possibilities, and two, you know, new workflow hangups. You know, and there are, you know, I think most likely similar solutions are going to be adopted in the video industry. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, maybe we should call it a wrap there. We're at about an hour and your dog is uh, getting a little fidgety. He is. Yeah, he's ready for uh, W-A-L-K. But uh, you don't want to talk about all the cool stuff I got this week? Well, you can play with it a bit more and we can talk about it next week. Okay. 3D monitor, SSD, RAM. Yeah. Switch to Lion. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that next week. All right. Okay. Bye. Take care.